1: Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 2. It's a delight to see an old friend in studio, George Kaloff. He is the managing partner at the Resolute Group and the president of Data Orbital Consulting as well. We vacillate or vary his appearances between Friday and Monday just to keep the enemies confused, just to to keep people on their toes. George, welcome into the studio. I hope you had a really great weekend.
2: I did. I did always get to start the week or end the week.
1: Yeah, good way to start it, good way to end it. I'm a thank God it's Friday, but thank God it's Monday kind of guy. I think you are too, aren't you? Yes. You, by the way, weren't here because uh, on on a Friday appearance last time because you were at the Heritage event where Tucker gave that Tucker Carlson gave that great speech. He's he's now got one of these names where you can just say one name, right? You yes. know, he's like Madonna yeah. now. Yeah. Tucker, just Tucker. Yeah, you were there for that great speech, and I played um, segments, sections, parts of it. And what what in the room was it as impactful and as an amazing speech as it came off when I took it off youtube or wherever i got it
2: it was it was myself our table and 2500 of our closest friends in the biggest ballroom i
1: guess i was (laughs) 2501 i did not get that invite
2: one one too many but uh, (laughs) the energy the energy in the room when he said the things that he said in particular the thing that stuck with me the most that i think has been played in a lot of circles which was his response to kevin roberts the president of heritage's question on what do we do moving forward and his answer was one word pray. yeah. Obviously, that hits uh, very close to home for many people in this nation. Uh, and the willingness to talk about faith, the willingness to talk about the role of faith in the public square is a seemingly a very controversial thing
1: nowadays, Seth. Yes, so, yes. Some of the candidates on our side running for president are going to figure out soon how that resonates I don't have the answer myself but you're noticing you think Mike Pence is going to get in the race he'll have a lot to say about faith you you're getting you're getting some of it from a few others I'm sure Tim Scott will have a lot to say about faith it'll be an interesting thing to see how it, how it plays out uh, especially in places like uh, North Carolina New Hampshire Nevada
2: I, I mean I think Iowa. the biggest question on faith is going to be regardless on if you're a person of faith or not This is the question that we have to answer as a nation. And we know the answer of some segments. We definitely know the answer of the other segment. It's the question about what's the answer of the middle 30. Regardless on if you are a person of faith or not, do you believe it is a net benefit to have people of faith in the public square or, frankly, even more importantly, to have faith in the public square? Okay. That is going to be the question that we have to answer. It doesn't matter if you're Christian, Muslim, Jewish, whatever you are. The answer to that question on the far left is to say no. There is no place for any kind of faith other than the faith in woke culture? And obviously we know the answer on the right, which is absolutely there's a
1: place for faith.
2: You can yeah. What is the middle? What does the middle say? That's going to be the question I believe in
1: this presidential race, among others, but that's going to be one of the top ones. I'd like to write about five speeches for these candidates on the importance of faith and how this country has failed. When you when you get rid of these um, time tested, these time immemorial reliable standards of right and wrong and end up and in a place where you you ask yourself, do I even recognize this country anymore? When you see the dissolution of family and all the downwash that comes from that, when you see, I think we're at the, the lowest point of regular church attendance we've ever been in this country, yes. when you see these after effects, when you see the kinds of things that eventuate in awful tragedies, including mass shootings, I, when you see the kinds of things that just you never used to see in America and you wonder what's the one big thing that's changed, well, that's one of them, isn't it? That's probably the biggest thing that's changed. Respect for faith, and if not, as you say, being an adherent yourself or an Orthodox adherent or a faithful adherent, at least respect for it and not wanting to tear it down and take it and make the public square naked of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, we could spend an entire, uh, frankly, an entire week's worth of three-hour uh, three programming on this. But that's the, that's the most important thing is yeah. that not only are there people that don't practice nor even have respect, they actually have an outright hostility to it. Yeah. That really has been, I think, the huge change that's occurred in the last couple of years. And then it puts people like me who are very faithful, uh, church-going Christian, more than just a once or twice a year yeah. type guy, right, to put me in that category. It makes me feel like I need to consistently be on guard because – The other, whoever it is, the culture in general, if I watch TV, I'm always on the lookout for who's going to come after me today, yeah, right? And that's where the Disney stuff comes in that we can unpack. That's where a lot of these, like, book bands or not book bands come in. It's not about any of those things. It's about what those things are saying about my faith tradition and the ability for me to practice my faith on on a regular basis, not just at church on on Sunday.
1: I think you're exactly right. No one's really said this. At least we haven't talked much about it. But it it really is a question about what you're doing Saturday morning and Sunday morning uh, as a regular practice. You know, you think about one nation, two cultures and the civil war that we're in, cold, whatever, the dividedness of America, the divisions in America. It's probably really between people who do regularly attend services and the world they live in and the world they see and what they think about the world and what they think about this country and what they go home to versus everyone else. That's really maybe increasingly where the division is. And what worries me, if I'm right about that division, if I'm right, what worries me is that the twain will never meet. The two will never see eye to eye. The two will have nothing in common. And the two will both look at the country from very, 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 very different angles.
2: Look, I count myself all. At
1: least during the real civil war, we agreed on the same God. We agreed on faith. We don't agree on anything anymore, including that.
2: I, I, I count myself, uh, myself in the bucket of people that are optimistic for the future, not because I'm naive and not because I don't think that there's a tremendous amount of problems, but I have to have that optimism. Otherwise, how do we, how right. do we shine a light into this darkness? Right. But on the other hand, I ask myself that if, if the other, whoever that person is, it could be my Uber driver, it could be the person next to me on a plane, it could be the person across from me at a restaurant, whatever. If they are so opposed to something so central to my life, which is my faith- how do I relate to that right. person? Honestly, ask yourself that. And, and then lump me in with the the, the the tens of millions of other Americans. And then you understand, like, well, why are we all so angry with each other? Right. Well, h- how do you square those two? How do you take someone from let's, you know from, from the rural part of the country and take someone that lives in urban San Francisco? And let's assume that these individuals are completely opposite from a faith perspective and ideological perspective and political perspective and societal perspective and cultural perspective. How do they even
1: relate to each other? They Are
2: they even Americans? I mean, what binds no, them? That,
1: nothing, zero what binds
2: them. That's the problem that zero. we have. Well, if nothing binds them, how do we, in- including
1: including uh, a non-theological based patriotism, including uh, a belief in the in the in the sanctity or the sacralizing of this country without God? I mean, there's just not even a patriotism on half that side. There look, just isn't. Look, maybe there's it's... no love of country.
2: I have started to, to tear up and I and I can't believe I'm even saying this, but I've started to tear up sometimes when I hear uh, the God Bless America, yeah, sure. the national anthem sure. and all that because sure. it reminds me and, and my mother. Right. Uh, you know, my mother said she always cries especially for America the Beautiful because yep. of everything that she gave up her and my father to come to this country. And now when I look at the flag and I do all that, like, it brings me to tears, not just because I love America that much, but because where we really are in this moment in our country, where we are so far apart, it endears me. Think about it, right? Human nature. It's like you endear the thing that the other is attacking and yep. vice versa. So we are... Entrenching ourselves both in our own camps. And again, and then we, we, you and I have talked about this often. We yearn for a leader that will get us out of it. But the problem is, if we don't even agree on basic premises, right. how is that leader going to unite these
1: two sides? It's, it's going to be it. David, do me a favor. Look for something um, that Gene Simmons, G E N E, Gene Simmons at the Pentagon, talking about patriotism and find out how long it is and if we can air it. Are you familiar with this? Uh, Gene Simmons, the lead singer for Kiss. Yeah did a—a a few years ago did about a two- or three-minute presentation to some folks at the Pentagon. It, it, we have to play it in this hour. We will play it in this hour. You will love it. It'll make you cry. He cries. Um, but, George, there's one thing you said that's wrong about the left and its opposition to faith. There's one thing you said, and I hate to correct you, but you'll agree with the correction. It's not true that the left hates people of faith— It's true that they hate people of Christian and Jewish faith. They have no problem with Ilan Omar. They have no problem with uh, adherence to non-Christian, non-Jewish, non-Judeo-Christian faiths, and they love the intersectionality and will respect and celebrate that. I think you'd agree with that. Which is odd. Which is odd, because the first thing you usually hear from people who despise faith, whether they're... Christian or Jewish faith whether they're whether they're um thinking it or not the what you when you scratch them the first thing they will say that they're so opposed to is the canard of how much violence has been committed in the name of faith right well there's there's another religion out there that has a violence issue that it hasn't gotten rid of the way Christian and Jewish faiths have all right i'm Seth Leepsen he's George Kalif happy to take your calls too 602508 zero nine six zero we have a lot more to talk about and we'll do it when we come back I, what a rock and roll night. welcome back to the seth leapson show it's a delight to have george kaloff in studio uh, he of the resolute group and data orbital um Perhaps the band members of KISS are going to save this country. Maybe they will bring it back. You look at what Paul Stanley wrote over the weekend uh, defending opposition to the transgenderism of children and this whole sexualization of children business. But Gene Simmons, uh, the front man uh, I was mentioning, he gave a speech, George. And when you said it, you you are now at the point of life in your life where you you tear up and well up a little bit when you just hear God bless America. This was Gene Simmons. At the Pentagon a few years ago. It's worth a few minutes. It, trust me, it is. David, take it away.
3: I was born in Israel. I know I don't look Swiss. <laughs> and uh, I am a proud son of a concentration camp survivor of Nazi Germany. My mother was 14 when she was in the camps. Uh, we're, I'm measuring my words because I'm about to break up again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and again, my mother just passed at ninety-three, mm-hmm. but almost there. Ten seconds. Control. <laughs> if Americans could see and hear my mother, <clears throat> almost there talk about America, they would understand, and uh, I'll just cut to the chase. When when we first came to America, my mother let me stay up and watch TV with her, and I couldn't speak English very well, and my mother could barely get by. She worked six days a week, and at night, we would watch the news and whatever, and by 12 o'clock, the three or four TV stations would go off the air and you would hear this kind of just noise and people presumably would go to sleep before then we saw a jet flying through the sky on TV, a jet flying through the sky and a man in a very deep voice was saying something I couldn't understand it and the jet then turned skyward and flew seemingly into the heavens through the clouds and I remember what the man said and saw the face of God. And then it it melted into the a black and white, because in those days we didn't have color TV. The flag was full screen billowing. And I heard da, 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 you know the the national anthem and I didn't know what it was or what was going on and it was almost time to go to sleep. It was late. And every time uh, every time my mother saw the flag, she'd start crying. As an eight-year-old boy, I didn't understand why. But from my mother's point of view, We were finally safe. I may... uh, uh, I may have been born in the country, everybody... Give me two seconds. I may have been born in the country that people throughout history have referred to as the promised land, but take my word for it. America is the promise
1: land. Where are you going to get that anymore, George? I mean, this is what we're talking about. Right? This is what we're talking about.
2: I mean, the uh, I mean, look, he 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 says what needs to be said. There are millions of people from around this world every day wake up with America on their mind. People in my family in Lebanon included. People all over the globe. Because America is the land of opportunity. America is the promised land. America is the place where so many of people before us, my father and People before him, they gave up everything, and still do today to come to the United States of America, and even within our own walls, we are we are in opposition to each other. Even over that yeah. right. premise, that is the. There are people again, that would cuss that out. Of that course. would say that is you know what because America's so broken right. in their minds that it's irre irreconcilable, right. irredeemable, right. unforgivable, right. And our history's too jaded. Right. That's their perspective of it. And again, there is a whole another swath of individuals in this country that could not have the more polar opposite opinion.
1: <clears throat> the kind of candidate that can harness that again for us, you know, would be the kind of candidate that would do well. It is interesting to me that the Democrats have seized on this notion that the phrase make America great again is a, is a pejorative, should be seen as a pejorative, that that, that is an extremist concept. Um, patriotism is an extremist concept if you listen to the talking points of the Democratic Party and how they're going to run their campaign. It's a very odd thing. How do you unite when they're telling us to dissolve?
2: Remember the Obama of the oh seven oh eight election? Mm-hmm. Remember the... Tone and tenor that he took hope and change. He didn't say America was horrible, tear it down. No, he wanted to in his world again. And we disagreed with a lot of the way that he got there. But at least we agreed on the end result, which was he wanted to provide hope and change for those that didn't have a voice. And for him, it was people on the left and center left and even just in general Americans. Mm -hmm. That was his tone and tenor. Mm -hmm. Now imagine the tone and tenor today. Right. It's again, OK, fine. That was however many years that was, 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. It might as well have been 100 years ago mm-hmm. at this point. Yep. With as crazy as things have gotten in the last two to three to five years. Yeah. Yeah. Obama of 08 would be unrecognizable in the Democratic Party of today. Hard stop. Let's not even go back to JFK.
1: Right. Right. In Don't even 60s. go back to Bill Clinton. You're right. You're absolutely right. Now, Obama has changed with the times, but the Obama of 08, you specify yes. and you're right to put it that way. Um, because he, is, he, he he and his wife have figured out how to coast along and Again, maintain. disagreed on so many right.
2: ways that we got there. But mm-hmm. we, we in general wanted what was best for America as an end result. I don't even – again, I don't think that, that, that all of us can agree on that anymore. I really don't. So
1: one of the maybe intriguing things about this insurgence campaign of Vivek Ramaswamy – is that he is talking about him you know he comes from an obviously immigrant family and maybe it means more when we hear it from an immigrant family like that because he's obviously trying to harness a degree of that he can't do the theological part so much but he can do the american part he can do the patriotic part the way lincoln Spoke about it, which was that um, that, uh, that 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 uh, America is 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 a patriotic religion. There is a patriotic religion to America, irrespective of whether you are Jewish or Christian. And maybe seeing it and hearing it from a young immigrant, even even the youth part, I think helps a little bit. I don't know if he's going to make anywhere above three percent. I have no idea, but there is something interesting and engaging about someone who's clearly very proud of his immigrant roots and who is clearly younger than most, and who clearly has no problem full-throatedly speaking up on behalf of a patriotism, right? Yeah, something about that. Be back. 602 uh, 508 George Kaloff is my guest. He of the Resolute Group and Data Orbital. Be right back. Threats to our financial freedom and stability are growing. China, Russia, India, Brazil, Saudi Arabia, they're all conducting international trade in local currencies, not the U.S. dollar. Rising interest rates and bad loans are exposing the banking system and causing failures. The Biden administration is sending hundreds of billions of dollars abroad while depleting our strategic oil reserves and ignoring crumbling infrastructure here at home. However... The biggest financial threat may be coming from within. Central bank digital currency is real. The patents have been filed and the big banks have released plans for implementation. The veterans at Midas Gold Group see devastating implications. The end of cash, the end of financial privacy, big government able to see your every purchase. Could there be ties to social credit? own private currency. That is to say, gold and silver. And now get your free silver by just asking Midas Gold Group how you can use your retirement to own physical gold. Call the Midas Gold Group today at 480-360-3000. It's 480-360-3000. Or check them out online at midasgoldgroup.com. George Kaloff is my guest. George, you're making a point during the break. I'd love for you to dilate on on air with the listeners Even the conversation we're having or have been having over the last uh, 30 minutes or so, even that is missing in most of the political dialogue today. It would be alien in front of a group of political consultants. It it
2: would be because in our very nature, our American culture is fast paced Mm -hmm. where the culture of the – 40, 45 minute lunch. Most other cultures you sit down for lunch for an hour and a half, two hours. We're the culture of go, go, go. We're the culture of the 50 to 60 hour work week. We pride ourselves in that minimal vacation time, all of it. And our politics and our political culture now is about the most urgent crisis in the moment. You turn on the news, news is on 24 seven. We're always, there's always something burning down. We never stop, step back and just think and talk and assess and theorize high level thoughts like we just did about the future of the nation, about the implications of the divide in our nation, all of these big picture ideas, partly because half the nation doesn't want to have it because those elite just want to dominate. And the other part of it is because the other part of the nation is struggling to make ends meet because of our current situation. They don't even have the capacity to think about it. And so no one's talking about it. And then our leaders, if the people that they're serving don't want to talk about it, why would, what's their incentive to talk about it? And so when we do what we did just now in the first half of this show in this hour and we talk about these big picture things and listeners are able to hear it, it, I can guarantee we'll start conversations across the valley that need to be had. They need to be had if we're truly going to get out of this as a country. If we're not talking about where we came from to where we are to where we want to be, how is it that we're ever going to find that end result? How is it that we're ever going to find that leader and lift them up? that will help us get out of this.
1: we become a little dead, don't we? I, we live in what I call a crisis industrial complex, <clears throat> where everything is driven as a crisis. And, and, and if the crisis isn't real enough, they'll make it worse. They'll exacerbate it. But interestingly enough, uh, we, we, we jump very quickly from crisis to crisis. And we could look at probably the last month's stories that were labeled crisis or emergency or urgent and find that they're now nowhere to be covered. We just move on to the next one. Um, because that's, I guess, what's foisted on us from our media. There's another interesting angle to this, which is that's top down, but there's a bottom-up angle to this, too, that I think families need to be aware of, Um, and it's social media. And let me me say something about that, because I don't know when the last time you have had the opportunity to sit down and just read a book for a while— uh, was or maybe maybe it 's frequent, but for those that haven 't done it in a while and then find a book they want to read or they 've been meaning to read and take the time to sit down and read it, something interesting will happen, and I guarantee it at least the first couple of times you will be checking your phone every few minutes you will you will you will feel like you don 't have just an hour of quiet to dedicate to something durable or deep that 's the problem we don 't focus on durables anymore, we focus on crises. <coughs> But this need, this constant need to constantly check our feeds, our text messages, our tweets, the Twitter accounts, uh, Instagram, there's this constant pressure. Now, take it away from the book and do it with church. How long is your church service? An hour and a half, something like that? Maybe an two hour, hours? Hour. Hour, hour to two hours on average, hour to two hours. Think about what it takes to separate from all that for an hour. I mean, people have a hard time struggling to do that. They do. So there's this upward, there's the downward news pressure, but there's this upward internal pressure we have imposed on ourselves or allowed to impose on ourselves that drives us away from those deep and meaningful things, moments of reflection, moments of calm, uh, moments of focusing on the things that do matter most, as I say, the durables and not the ephemeral fading immediate crisis it's a problem that we have to be cognizant of as families and get rid of those phones turn them off get used to it spend an hour a day doing a book um, and it can be the bible uh, i'm seth he's george we'll be right back welcome back to the seth leapson show george kaloff is my guest political consultant extraordinaire uh, The Resolute Group and Data Orbital. George, people do, however, sense there is something wrong in this country. Something's gone wrong in this country. And they'll sense it when they read the story about the shooting in Texas, which looks like was an adult. But they'll sense it even more so when we see it at a school or a young person, um, whether it's Nashville or Uvalde or too many And too often, or rather it's just the streets of Chicago or San Francisco, any of our big cities, they sense there's something dramatically wrong. Is there an appetite to get to the root causes for a candidate to start talking about the things that are the root causes behind these things? Because there are root causes behind these things. I am I am I am less interested in um, in in the race or economic condition of any of these assailants. I want to know their family life and I want to know their talk screen. And you will find that far too often, 90 plus percent of the cases, they'll be exactly what you would expect me to to say that they are. Um, Broken family, uh, drug abuse in the family, or drug abuse and use by the assailant. People know that there's something wrong here. People know something has changed. Is there an Appetite or thirst for a candidate to seize on it? Are they too afraid to? Are we not ready for this conversation? It's about still those pillars of family and faith and you know, bringing up children in ways that we know have worked in ways that 20 years ago would be alien to what is common today. Can a candidate talk like that without being canceled or being considered a blue-nosed scold? You know, that's a good question. Um,
2: I guess maybe let me answer it this way. I don't know that we know that answer because when's the last time someone tried? The The closest that we have gotten, frankly, in modern history is, and again, aside from where we are today, but what uh, President Trump did in fifteen sixteen, he was willing to say things and go places that made people uncomfortable. And we know how that ended up, mm-hmm. right? The first mm-hmm. go around 2016. And again, there's a lot of differences to unpack. We don't need to for the purposes of this, between 16 and 2020. But he was willing to go places. And so, yeah, I mean, he was course. willing
1: to say things people thought but were afraid to say. One hundred percent. That's the category, and so that's the you know that's what that you, anyway. That's what you were, yeah. you know, just asking right. about. So right.
2: The question is, you know, we've used this phrase before when I've been on uh, and we've been talking about what's the lane of this political right. person. You know what? Frankly, stop it. We we have to stop talking about that. Right. Even me as a consultant, like if we keep doing things the same way we've been doing them, we're going to get to the same result that we've gotten to. So we need to we need completely flip the script, change it, like, like completely throw it out and start from scratch. And so then the answer of that is that someone has to just do it. We have to say things. We have to have people like Vivek Ramaswamy go on, Chuck Todd, and say what he said. Because otherwise, it's literally not going to get into the bloodstream. Even if we're going to disagree at this point, I will settle for someone even just being willing to utter them. Because we are, I mean, cancel culture is so intense and the desire and human nature is such to say that most people just want to live their lives. They don't want to get shut down and absolutely ripped to shreds for the sake of their family or their jobs or whatever it may be. And so when someone speaks up, you have to applaud them even in today's day and age, even if you don't agree with what's coming out of their mouth because we have to stand in solidarity with the ability to even say things.
1: The Ramaswamy thing. Yeah, let me let me return to that and let me in the course of doing so say this about people that don't want to be bothered with these issues either because they're uncomfortable or they just want to move on to their barca bark-a-lou- lounger and cable TV and, and, and Coors Light at the end of the day, whatever it is, whatever it is that, that they don't want to be bothered with. They're going to be bothered. They can, I often say, they can think political philosophy isn't of interest to them, but political philosophy is interested in them. This neo-Marxist crap is changing everything, and it's changing not just the schools. It's also changing, I hate to say it, churches and synagogues. It's changing the faith organizations and the faith bases in this country, So you may want to retreat from these things, not you, but this average voter we're talking about may want to avoid these things. They are going to be unavoidable. They're going to be unavoidable. Now, the Ramaswamy thing, yeah, what he did on Chuck Todd's Meet the Press yesterday was remarkable. And I didn't get a chance to play the audio today. I kept threatening to. I'll do it tomorrow. But it was incredible. And I would urge people to go and watch it. He may go nowhere. He may go somewhere. But... Even if he goes nowhere, the ability, to your point, the ability for a non-nominee candidate to have an effect on the discussion of the race or the debate can, 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 be, can be notable, can be um, tangible, can be impactful. Some candidates never make it, but they do change the debate in this country. Um, Pat Buchanan changed a lot of debates in this country. Uh, Steve Forbes changed the debate on, on on taxes on the flat. I mean, you can do that uh, here and there. I think the stuff Alan Keyes and um, and uh, Gary Bauer were saying in 2000 had an influence on George Bush and his race when he ultimately became the nominee and the way he was more comfortable talking about faith and remember the whole discussion about faith based institutions. Where did that go? But people who don't necessarily make it through, but are willing to tell the truth and put themselves on the cross to do so, so to speak, they can have an effect. It it matters. 100% it matters. Because,
2: again, as we have continuously talked about, we are, as Americans, being told consistently that if your belief is not in line with the mainstream, then you are not even just not allowed to say it. You shouldn't even be thinking it. That's where we've gotten to. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing it in Arizona. We're seeing it in every single state in this union. And we're seeing it nationally. And there are a lot of people that have said enough. Now, the big question is, and we have a debate on our side, on the Republican side, to say, how are we going to say enough? Are we going to shout and scream? There are times for getting fiery. If anyone who knows me personally knows, I can get uh, very passionate about things that I care about. But we have to find a way to articulate it differently because there are people in the middle that whether or not – we want them to or not? They want to retreat, as you said, to their barca lounger and their, yeah. you know, whatever it is. Their
1: course light, you know, I think I cool said. Course right, yeah. yeah.
2: Probably more red wine, but that's okay. Yeah, whatever their whatever their alcoholic beverage of choice is, sparkling. I'm water. pushing
1: course light for two reasons. Yes, one yeah. because we hate Budweiser, and two because that was. Uh, Tom, uh, Magnum P.I.'s beer of choice when it wasn't old Dusseldorf.
2: There there are individuals in this nation, sincerely, that don't want to talk about things that are difficult. Um, yeah. They don't do it within their own family uh, structure. They don't want to, definitely, they don't want to do it outside of their family. And that is a major de- deterrent. And I actually have said this, by the way, speaking, we've talked a lot about churches. There's a lot of churches in America that are unwilling to talk about difficult things in church. And I'm guessing have, most of them. We have largely gotten to where we are today because people of faith right. and their pastors weren't even willing to talk about tough things. That's a big... Again, we can have another segment, another three hour total segment about uh, tough talk in our nation today and how we have not even uh, gotten ourselves used to. Our leaders have not gotten us used to being willing to right. internalize tough things because we made a switch somehow in this generation that said, no, tough, no good. Everyone needs to be coddled and, and loved. And yes. there was literally no tough love. The tough love was thrown out, it. it was just love, no tough.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Eric Metaxas has this right, doesn't he? His letter to the American Church or whatever—it's it's called something like that. I think he's got this right. Others have had it right. Yeah, the the hour service is important, and what goes on in there is important. It's probably if it's not you know if it's not apostasy to say this, it's probably more important what you do with the message when you walk out those doors.
2: Yeah, we, we're made to be challenged, and I don't think a lot of us are challenged anymore in our day and age.
1: Well, let's find candidates that will challenge us or at least shape the debate in a way that will challenge us because this easy thing, it's not working. We'll be right back. Folks, how do you think the Biden administration is handling the economy? Bank failing, stock market volatility, a recession on the horizon. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the Fed or the stock market. Why Refi has that. They have an investment in a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on and off, compound it, whatever you like, no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% fixed rate of return. Why Refi is local. I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the and the 101. I have, and I can tell you, you won't get a sales pitch. No one's going to ask you to sign a thing. And when you go and meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I like them and trust them so much, and you can too. A due diligence approved firm, as I say, you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then dot com, Or give them a call at 888 y refi thirty four eight 888- eight eight why refi 34 george kaloff has been generous with his time and brain george thank you okay we've uh, we've uh, put a lot of ingredients in the pot and turned up the heat what uh, what do we want to serve here at the end
2: i always try to leave people as i said encouraged and with something tangible mm-hmm. because if we just spit out a bunch of things that are very difficult and challenging and critical of others and we don't have anyone you know given folks something tangible to hold on to then what have we done I would encourage folks that are listening, whether you're on the political right, the center or the left, to not lose hope because there is a tomorrow. There's going to be a tomorrow. Uh, there is going to be an America that's even brighter than today. I'm confident in that. How we get there is another thing, and I'm not 100% certain of that, but I am certain that that is going to be our end result. And so I would just challenge us to not take the negativity that we feel and then spread it, because that's just going to breed more. I would challenge us to look to leaders and look to new sources that are offering something good, mm-hmm. frankly, like what you do here, Seth, every day, Monday through Friday, giving people things to think about. I would look then to... Challenge you to go then with your friends and neighbors and people in your churches and synagogues and other places. And don't repeat and spread all the negativity. Challenge each other as well. Read a book together. Talk about the thing that was in the Wall Street Journal or the newspaper article. Um, Sit in things and actually grapple with them. And don't just regurgitate things that the union is lost. And again, I hear this a lot from the right as well. All is lost. No, all is not lost because there are people every day that still, what do we say, wake up in the morning and think of America as a shining city on the hill and we will get there, but we have to have faith in it before the others who disagree with us have faith in it, right? We have to have to have faith in ourselves and in this nation for us to get anywhere and for us to get to where we want to be.
1: That's beautiful, George. And I like this phrase, David, let's write it down that George had sit in things. I like that. Sit in and with things. Sit with them. Thanks, George. Thank George you. Kalef has been our guest. We'll be right back